Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the seventh installment in my Superman movie review series. Today I am reviewing Superman Returns. This is your host, Corbin. And yes, we have made it to seven reviews already. Technically, this is the fifth Superman movie. I'm also including Supergirl and Steel, the Superman spinoff Shaquille O'Neal film, in that number seven. But we talked about last week on your guide to Superman Returns, how this fits into the continuity. Despite this being the fifth installment and taking place within the world Christopher Reeve inhabited, Brian Singer chose to ignore the events of Superman 3 and 4 and really just take off what Donner created with Superman 1 and 2, and he made his own direct sequel to that. Of course, everybody's been recast. Sadly, Reeve had passed away by that point, and he was in an accident, leaving him paralyzed. Marlon Brando had also passed away, so he is technically in this film, um, digitally recreated though, and also using some archive footage, which we'll talk about later. But this is kind of different, kind of strange to make this a return to the Donner films, movies that had come out over 30 years ago by that point. Now, if you want to hear more about the failed Superman reboots, like the J.J. Abrams film, the Tim Burton Superman film, all of that is in your guide to Superman Returns. That is the first link in the description below that will really give you a background how this movie came to be because it was a long and tricky process. So go ahead, check out your guide to Superman Returns. Also, while you're down there, make sure to follow me and Alan on Letterboxd. And we also have all of our other social media pages, profiles, um, timestamps if you're ready to jump straight into the review. All kinds of other goodies down there you're not going to want to miss. So back in summer 2006, I would have been about 11 and a half years old. So Kind of the target audience for this, probably um, slightly just under the age they're targeting. This is a PG-13 film, which I should mention. This is the first official PG-13 Superman film. Everything else has been PG. Now, for most of that time, um, well, at least half of that time, PG-13 did not exist. Steel was PG-13, strangely enough. Nevertheless, this is PG-13. It's also returning the epic Donner runtime of 153 minutes, which is technically 10 minutes longer than Donner's original film. It is the longest in the franchise to date. I don't remember seeing this in theaters. I want to say I did go see it in theaters. I do have a solid recollection of seeing Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest, which came out the week after this one. I saw that in theaters. Um, my whole family did with our friends. That was a fun time. I want to say I saw this in theaters, but I don't think it was opening weekend. And if I didn't see it in theaters, I definitely picked up the deluxe edition DVD, the special edition. And I watched this quite a few times over the years. Um, I've never seen, as we talked about in the very beginning of this series, 
I had the VHS of Richard Donner's Superman the movie, did not watch any of the sequels or other iterations. And then when Superman Returns came out, I think that's when my dad said, let's revisit Donner's first film. And that's when we did. And then we picked up the DVD. And this is kind of all I knew of Superman live action between those two. And this one was on DVD. The other one was on VHS. This one was easier, more available. Um, DVDs had become more prevalent in my house. So I watched this one. I've seen this one many times. I don't know how many times. I know I've seen it probably at least more than five times would be my guess. Revisiting this trailer as an adult, would this trailer get me into theaters if this was being put out today? The teaser trailer would. I think the teaser trailer is very effective. The theatrical trailer is overdone. The teaser trailer would have piqued my interest. The theatrical trailer probably would have put a sour taste in my mouth. Just thinking this it's not very good. It, it looks... It really looks like they're trying too hard. So I'm not crazy about the marketing for this film. Now, I do actually own an action figure of Reeves Superman um, that's currently in storage. I also did own a magazine of Superman Returns talking about the planned sequel that was coming soon. So I, I read through that. Curious when we would get, you know, the next installment in the Superman film. We'll talk about that at the very end of this review. All right, listeners, if you have not seen Superman Returns and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. It is streaming on HBO Max. Of course, you can pick it up uh, digitally or you can pick up your physical copy of the film. Go ahead and watch it and come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. All right, here is your 30 second plot summary. Superman has been gone from Earth for five years, exploring his lost homeworld, Krypton. When he finds it's infested with harmful kryptonite, he returns to Earth only to realize humanity has suffered without him. Even Lois Lane wrote a cynical piece titled Why the World Doesn't Need Superman. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor has been released from prison. He returns to the Fortress of Solitude, where he steals Superman's crystals. Eventually, he throws one into the ocean to create a giant continent, which he will be the ruler of. Superman realizes he has a son with Lois. They kind of work through their issues. Superman tries to stop Lex because he kidnapped Lois, but Supes is hurt by the kryptonite. Thanks to Richard the Third Wheel fiance, they're all saved. Superman chucks the continent, aka New Krypton, into space, but it nearly kills him. He recovers in the hospital, visits his son, and tells Lois he'll always be around as he flies across the earth as credits roll. Now, you may notice two things in my plot summary that are technically not in the theatrical film. Superman exploring Krypton is a five and a half minute deleted scene found on the Blu-ray that was fully finished uh, visual effects wise. It looks great. It's pretty kind of strange though. Not sure what to make of it. Um, there were talks that would be incorporated into the sequel. And of course, the naming of it as New Krypton. I'm not sure if that's in the theatrical cut or not. It's definitely a deleted scene. And these two things would have played into the plot of the sequel, which we'll talk about at the end of this review. Now, this movie is long enough at two hours and 34 minutes. There is an additional 21 minutes of deleted footage on the disc, which is quite a bit. And also, this is crazy, a two hour and 53 minute documentary in five parts about the making of Superman Returns. Before we get into my thoughts on the film, I want to set the mindset for you just real quick about people, the, the Warner Brothers and Singer and Donner and everybody else coming in, the producers coming into Superman Returns. Superman, as we had talked about extensively, was a very, very tricky property for Warner Brothers to crack. 
Only Donner really figured it out with the first film and nobody could by that point. With Donner giving Singer his blessing and then Singer and his friends kind of coming up with this idea for Superman Returns and then pitching it to Warner Brothers, I didn't watch the fullness of this documentary. I've seen part of it before. The real thought coming into this project was Singer was the second coming of Donner. He was, he, you know, had some success with the X-Men franchise. He was the one that was able to crack the nut to, you know, cut the Gordian knot that nobody else could. Singer had this brilliant vision for Superman and only he was the one that could execute it. It's this really, you know, self-indulgent piece of documentary work. Singer really comes across like everybody is just pumping up his ego constantly about he's just a genius. Only he could really do the Superman movie and only he could make a sequel to the Donner films. So I, I just want you going in with that mindset that I'm not sure many people knew at the time, but in hindsight, Singer was told by everybody else he was the one to be able to figure it out, to make this just fantastic, epic Superman film. Right off the bat, with, you know, Krypton exploding and you get to see the ice world recreated, unless that's archive footage, I don't know. And then, of course, the original credits are coming back, but, you know, in more of a updated, digitized form. This movie is, A, starting off on the right foot with John Williams' score. Um, and I believe this is straight up John Williams' score. Um, and then John Ottman composes music for the rest of the film. John Ottman also co-edited the film. Ottman's score very much reminds me of Danny Elfman. I really like it. I do have the CD of it, actually. But nevertheless, right here in the beginning you know you are back in the world Reeve and Donner originally created in the late 70s. It is surprising, though, because we don't see Superman for a while. Now, of course, the original opening of the film was cut, but they opted to go with Lex Luthor, just really hammering in that nostalgia that, you know, Lex Luthor is back. He's playing somewhat of a different character than Kevin Spacey did. Um... He Here's a piece of trivia. The woman that he has swindled out of her money on her deathbed played Lois Lane in the 50s TV show. At least she was one of the Lois Lanes, interestingly enough. And now we definitely know that this is not in continuity with Superman 3 or 4 because Martha Kent is alive. We know from a dropped line in Superman 3 that she had passed away. But Clark crashes in a gigantic Kryptonian ship. Which even as a kid, I was puzzled by, but I didn't think too much of it. Somehow, he has this ship, and he's in this kind of gray, you know, Superman suit, which is interesting. Now, Lex's lair for this one is a pretty awesome kind of cruise liner type ship. I really like the design of his place. He's never really had a very good lair. This is probably his best one. Also, the Fortress of Solitude has never looked better. It's all, you know, digitized. It's all recreated. It looked okay in the first one. The second one looked like a set. I uh, don't think they ever returned to it after that, but this really does look epic. And it is pretty cool. Marlon Brando is back digitally. He has, I think, a new line. I'm not sure if they, I don't think they redid his voice. They used archive footage that they had not used previously and they digitally recreated him for the scene. Um, it's not like really incredible or epic or anything, 
but it is interesting. He had passed away two years prior and we're getting new Marlon Brando lines and footage in this film. Now, I would say the emotional crux of the story is why the world doesn't need Superman. This, you know, bad breakup between Lois and Clark and, you know, really Superman as well is, I don't know. I'm not necessarily going to say it's well handled in this, but you do feel the emotion. Thankfully to Kate Bosworth's performance, um, I really like her as Lois. I will say maybe a controversial statement. I like her better than Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder in that first one was good, but she just never really had much else in any of the sequels, except for maybe Donner's cut of Superman 2. Jimmy does have somewhat more to do here. He is still kind of this, you know, gnat, just kind of annoyingly flying around in the background, providing tons of commentary, unsolicited commentary that nobody probably wants to hear. But this emotional crux is because Superman is in love with Lois, but he knows he can never be with her. So he somewhat abandons her for half a decade. And of course, I'm sure, you know, in space time, it was much shorter for Superman in his mind. He probably, this is something they don't touch upon in the film, but they probably should have was in his world. He probably wasn't gone for that long, but on earth time, it was much longer. And there is this weird disconnect and fallout. And then of course, the fact that they have a son together, of course, the whole sun thing is really never explored. It's more so just kind of plopped down there and you just kind of moved from scene to scene. It's kind of strange. But nevertheless, there is also somewhat of an action side to this movie. There is really only one action scene in this. Of course, there is going to be, you know, a couple more minor action sequences. But the big one is the piggyback launch of a spaceship piggybacking on like a Boeing 747. And it takes off into the stratosphere. I think this idea is really dumb. And Lois unbuckling and like crawling around and being thrown around the plane with no injuries whatsoever. She has all kinds of, you know, horrible things happen to her and she's completely fine. It's pretty unrealistic, which there's never really any stakes or danger for Lois in this one. And it's, of course, kind of copycatted off of the first one. Anyways, it's an exciting way to reintroduce Superman to the world and to Lois. It's actually very, very well done visual effects wise. Ralph is totally CGI'd in a number of scenes where it's a complete recreation. It's not even him or his face plastered on there. It's just a complete CGI model. Sometimes that works really well. Sometimes it doesn't. But it is cool to see this modern spectacle, something they just could have never even of them. Um, they could have imagined it in the old films, but they never, ever could have pulled it off. This film is also very reflective and contemplated, opting more so for kind of these, you know, grandiose, kind of mystical, emotional aspects, such as Superman flying into the sky, thinking of his father's words, and in this Christ-like way, hovering above the earth, listening to the cries of the people, and basically picking and choosing who to save. I like some of this introspection here. Um, unfortunately, there's very, very little action in this. Um, they do also recreate the Can You Read My Mind. It's not as, not quite the same. I think this one is actually a little bit better than anything we've ever seen before. Uh, I do like that. And I do appreciate Kevin Spacey's take on the character. I know we're not supposed to talk about Kevin Spacey or probably even Brian Singer for that matter anymore because of their, I suppose, alleged sex crimes. 
But as far as his performance goes in this movie, I think he does a pretty solid job as Lex Luthor. And of course, it's nice to see the ending is a callback to the very original film and I guess all the other films in the exact same way. It's nice, but we're going to talk about here now. I'm disappointed this movie follows the beats of the first one. This is essentially recreating the first movie. In some ways, it's almost a remake, actually, with just a new layer of skin and somewhat different plot elements, you know, layered onto it. But overall, the plot, the pacing, the beats, the characters, it's really just a recreation of what Donner had already done. One of my major disappointments is that Ralph is not very good in this movie. He's pretty flat. He's given very, very little to do, almost no lines. He doesn't have charisma. He's just lackluster, which is just kind of a problem for the movie altogether. In some ways, they said, play him like Reeve. He is supposed to be Reeve. He's supposed to be like a clone. You know, I used to think he was great. And now the more I think about it and watch this and listen to other people's, you know, opinions of him. Of course, I want to form my own opinion. But and I'm I'm not as harsh on him as some people. Some people think he's crap. I think he is just very mediocre, very disappointing. Um, there's really just not a whole lot to him. Reeve brought a life to the character, especially as Clark Kent, that was really, you know, recognizable and really engaging. As Clark Kent, he is just this quiet, you know, stands in the back corner, doesn't talk to anybody kind of person. As Superman, even still. He's just lacking in any kind of personality. He doesn't create, you know, relationships with anyone, which is a problem and something they could definitely explore as for his character. But unfortunately, they don't. Also, Lex Luthor's core, you know, plot and this whole kidnapping of Lois Lane takes place 90 minutes into the film, which is really late. And it just also shows that this movie is really just too long. At this point, I'm really ready for the story to speed up. Also, his new land thing is not thrilling whatsoever. It was more thrilling because it involved nuclear missiles and the death of people. This one just talks about the death of people. There's, I mean, there's no real, like, real danger to stop. It seems like they have plenty of time to get this taken care of. This, at this point, you just come to realize that, you know, you're 90 minutes into the movie and you're reflecting back on the first 90 minutes and you still have an hour left to go in the film and you realize the story is just not thrilling. Um, this is more of a romanticized Superman and um, Singer even admitted that in interviews later on. He thought, well, I guess this movie was actually geared more towards women, which I thought was a really kind of strange thing to say. This is a very romanticized, like I said, almost somber in introspection of the character dealing with, you know, lineage and death and all of these kind of heavy themes, whereas there's really nothing lighthearted about this whatsoever. And it's definitely, I, I wouldn't even call this an action movie, um, surprisingly enough. And just looking over the story in general, you realize it's just this kind of weird remake of the original. There also are some plot inconsistencies that just don't make sense. Whereas Superman gets his, or I should say Clark Kent gets his job back. Lois, you know, barely remembers him and she just asks, how was your trip? Being gone for five years, I wouldn't call that a trip. There's also kind of this, you know, really shoehorn sequence into the film where Superman is spying using his hearing and x-ray vision. 
on um, Richard White and Lois Lane in their house uh, where Richard is like, were you in love with him? Uh, they've been together for, I don't know, at least a few years, if not five years. They're just now talking about that. Um, that's really hard to believe that Richard wouldn't have brought up their relationship, uh, Lois and Superman's relationship previously. Also, Lex's henchmen, um, are pretty bad in this one. We've got a psychopath, a videographer, and Cal Penn, who doesn't even have any lines in the theatrical film, I believe. Uh, I know he says like one or two words. He's got a little bit more to say in the deleted footage. These people are weird. They don't make sense. Um... Also, towards the end of the film, I'm starting to doze. It really is becoming that boring and just far, far too drawn out. This really needed um, better editing. The death of Superman comes very late into the film. And once you realize that Superman has saved the family, um, even he has fall, you know, been stabbed and beat up, fallen off of this new, you know, chunk of, you know, planet, I guess you could say. You realize that's the climax of the movie. The climax really is kind of really, really boring, actually, and and just no no umph or spirit whatsoever. It's just pretty dry, actually. And you realize that's the climax, and you're now into the falling action of the story. You realize it's almost done. There still is a heck of a lot left to go, but I, I'm ready for it to be done. I was really itching to pull out my phone, look at my phone, look at other things, because by this point, you realize there's really not much to this story. It's, it's pretty hollow, unfortunately. Also, of course, this somber Superman is dead at the ending is not emotionally gripping to me. I'm just ready for the movie to be done, but they play it out for so long. It's almost introducing... There's almost fourth act or epilogue type thing to the film, which just doesn't work as far as pacing goes. Superman Returns is a mixed bag for me. And looking back over it all these years, it always was. As a kid, this movie was awesome. It's Superman with modern visual effects, which really is where the character is best served. Only knowing Donner's original film, I really enjoyed bouncing back and forth between these two, with this one being my primary watch. I've seen this film a lot. And every time I realize, well, I'm enjoying it, I guess you could say, I'm not in love with it. I always realize there's just something kind of off about this movie. It's, you know, they hit it with the baseball bat and the ball is kind of flying and it just kind of lands, lands out there in the field. So you don't quite get a home run with it, but you know, you it'll gave it a good effort. There are tremendous pacing issues. That's always been a problem for me. This movie is just way too long. The climax is watery at best. The ending is incredibly elongated and the characterization while presented in what could be a fascinating way is sorely lacking. I realize the flaws of this installment and just as a superhero movie in general, it's straight up a Donner clone, which was the wrong thing to do, but I don't hate this movie. Having nostalgia for it, I'm not disappointed, but it's one that I won't return to for a long time, especially since I know this film so well. It really does present diminishing returns upon each watch. I can only see myself coming back to this honestly to rewatch with my kids someday. I've seen it so much, there's just really nothing here for me to return to. Superman Returns receives 6 stars out of 10 with a very weak recommend. So, if I didn't already own this movie, would I add it to my collection? Maybe if I saw it at Dollar Tree. If I saw it at Dollar Tree, I'd probably pick it up. 
Um, otherwise, at this point, I would not be itching to add it to the collection. Now, like I mentioned earlier, I've owned the DVD um, set for years, and now I do own it on Blu-ray because it came with the um, nine-film Batman Superman set. Typically, I don't talk about um, Blu-ray reviews on here. That's uh, something I might explore in the future, but I had to bring it up. I checked the bit rate um, during watching this film. This hits DVD quality um, more times than not. This Blu-ray is incredibly disappointing. Um, it's also in VC1 codec. Uh, so it's it's an old Blu-ray. You can tell because they don't use VC1 anymore. I was very disappointed with this Blu-ray. I, th I thought it looked pretty bad and essentially looked like a DVD. Four months before Superman Returns hit theaters, Warner Brothers announced a mid-2009 theatrical release date for the sequel. Co-writer Michael Doherty said Brainiac and Bizarro would be villains, and the new Krypton, that's obviously set up in this movie, would be prominently featured. Singer also said later on in an interview that the sequel would be titled Man of Steel, and it would feature Darkseid as the villain. At Comic-Con, Stewart, over on Now Playing, and their review gives a first-hand account of what he witnessed there, and fans lambasted Singer during the Comic-Con panel, asking him questions, why did he do this? Uh, fans of this film were not happy. Singer once again dropped out of his other projects, which were Logan the Run remake, an adaption of the mayor of Castro Street, to work on Superman 2. Unfortunately, Warner Brothers execs felt the film underperformed at the box office despite grossing $400 million or close to that. They really wanted at least $500 million to really, you know, do that sequel and stated the film didn't have enough action for the young male audience, so they were wary of returns for a sequel. They also planned to cut the budget down to $175 million since this movie gross, you know, cost $100 million more than that. I believe Singer could see the writing on the wall, but due to his tendency to jump from project to project, he postponed Superman Returns 2, which isn't uncommon for directors to do, but um, he did go to work on Valkyrie with Tom Cruise and just didn't really have much of a desire, it seems, to return to a sequel for that film. After that, everybody was optimistically saying, like, no, 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 it's coming. It's just going to take a few more years than what we expected. Everybody kind of just jumped shipped and WB just abandoned the franchise at that point and said it's never coming. They said we're putting, you know, Superman Returns behind us. It kind of was a failed effort. We're just going to reboot the series overall. So Singer did state in an interview with the playlist, he does understand some of the hate the film got, but not all of it. He also fairly morosely went on to say that he would have removed the first quarter of the film and started it with the airplane disaster to grab the audience more quickly. Quote, I don't know what would have helped. Probably nothing. If I could go again, I would do an origin. I would reboot it. So in some ways, he doesn't look back on this movie fondly, which is kind of interesting considering starting out, he really thought he had some epic gem on his hands and he was kind of the second coming of, you know, only he could do Superman correctly. Looking back on it, nobody really liked it. Nobody remembers this fondly, really. Um, critics at the time were, you know, impressed with it, but nevertheless, even he has a lot of issues with it and kind of disowns his own story, surprisingly enough. 
Now, Brandon Routh did reprise his role in 2019 in the Arrowverse Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover TV series event. He did come back as Superman for that. I haven't seen it, but I still find that to be pretty interesting. Once Superman did return to the big screen, it would be straight up about seven years. Uh, with Zack Snyder, who kind of, you know, styled himself as his own comic book, you know, big time director. He came back with Man of Steel in um, June of 2013. Another long installment. We're looking at two hours and 23 minutes. Now, I originally said in the very beginning of the series, listeners, I would not be reviewing Man of Steel. I just wanted to look at those Reeve films and kind of the era surrounding that. But I decided, well, let's go ahead and incorporate Steel. I've always been curious about that one. And of course, this movie, while not starring Reeve, is still technically the same Superman as in those other films. But you know what? I'm going to finish it out. I'm going to go ahead and see. Now that I have all of this context, I feel like it just wouldn't make sense for me not to reveal Man of Steel and kind of bring it into the broader context of all of these films, especially knowing all of this background now and getting to see all these other movies. So next week, I am reviewing Man of Steel. Very curious to know my thoughts on that because... I don't even know what I'm going to think of it. I saw it once in theaters, I believe, and I never returned to it since. But I do have some other movie recommendations for you to check out after this one. I'm going to be recommending Blade Runner 2049. That is how you do a sequel to a franchise years later. Not like this. Denis got it right with 2049. I'm also going to be recommending 300, another awesome movie that came out in 2006. That was rated R, and I 100% was not allowed to watch, but I really wanted to back then. I've now seen it. Monster House is one movie I do remember seeing back in 2006. Had a lot of fun seeing that one in theaters. That's one my wife and I return to every October. We love Monster House, so check that one out. Well, listeners, the question after the show, is Superman Returns a disappointment or the best Superman sequel we've gotten up to that point? Or could it actually be both? I think there's a case to be made. It's a disappointment, but it's actually the best sequel we've got. And that's kind of how I felt with um, uh, Green's Halloween um, 2018 film, where it's a direct sequel, but I wasn't crazy about it. I think that's kind of a case to be made, but I want to know what you think. So email me at silverscreenguide 95 at gmail.com. The question and my email are listed below. Of course, no matter where you're listening, comment your thoughts. Let's Let's get the conversation started. Curious to know what you all think. Well, listeners, thank you for coming along with me on re my review of Superman Returns. This one was an interesting one for me since I've seen it so many times over the years. Curious to see my, you know, thoughts as an adult and with my SSG goggles on. It's been many years since I visited it, but I remembered it quite well and um, kind of didn't want to revisit it after this. And I probably won't for a long time. But nevertheless, I'm very curious to uh, see what Zack Snyder can do with it. Uh, kind of going back to the beginning there before it really got muddled with the Justice League stuff. So thanks for coming along with me, listeners. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And especially if you've made it this far, you're awesome. You guys are, you know, great. I'm so grateful for you all as listeners and excited to keep going and building with silver screen guide got some exciting stuff in plan in store for the rest of this year so thanks for listening everyone and i'll see you next week with man of steel
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.